you're going to have to, in faith, decide you're going to go home and go to bed. Right? Or you can get over in the other boat over here. I call it the doubt boat. Everybody say doubt boat. And you can sit, sit here for the rest of tonight and worry. What if my bed blows up? What if I go home and it's gone? What if? So you're in the doubt boat, right? Because you can't know everything for certain, right? So when it comes to spiritual things, there's always going to be a percentage of certainty and uncertainty because spiritual things are the same as everything else. Do you understand what I'm saying? God has something, though, in his um, arsenal that supersedes this certainty-uncertainty thing, and it's called a personal encounter. And when you have a personal encounter with God, you are unequivocally able to say that there is a God 100%. Can you prove it? Absolutely not. But your personal experience has a way of trumping doubt. I told you a couple weeks ago about a guy named Nabil Koresh, Koreshi, I can't remember how you spell it, in his, his book, uh, Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. It's an amazing book. I want you to get it and read it. I want everybody to read it. It's so cool. And he says in that book that he had been raised, raised, raised as an, um, a Muslim, getting up. The first words that came into his ears when he was born is, Allah is God. That's the first thing that's allowed to be said when a baby is born. And he was just so steeped in it and so brought up in Islam. And, and, and he, was, he, was he was 99% sure that there was a God. He was absolutely 99% certain there was a God. But there came a time in his life where he was searching and he was seeking. And, and he cried out to God and he said, God, if you're real, I need help in this certain area. I'm not going to blow the story. You have to get the book and read it. And so God shows up, though, in a way that is absolutely supernatural. He could not deny it. And in his words, he went from being 99% certain that there was a God to 100% sure. His personal encounter trumped all doubt. Would you agree with me? Personal encounter has the ability to do that. We talked last week, or yeah, last week about Thomas, the disciple Thomas. Do you remember him? Three entire years that man walked in personal encounter with Jesus. I mean like personal. They walked on the same path. He watched them open blind eyes and and open deaf ears. Thomas had personal experience. But even in the midst of your personal experience, circumstances want to come along and shake your certainty. So in Thomas's life, in all of the certainty, he watched dead people rise again. He saw it. How many of you have ever said, you know, God, if I could just see a blind eye open, I'll believe forever and ever. I don't know about you. I've said that. I want to see it so bad. You know? Um, so here's Thomas, and, and then all of a sudden, this circumstance happens. Jesus dies. Huh. Everything he knew for certain he's rocked. His, his faith is rocked. He walked with Jesus for three years and he was rocked. What? And so Thomas, everybody else starts seeing Jesus, not Thomas. 
Thomas is like, well, I'll believe it when I see it. So guess what Jesus does? He shows up. And he shows us, him, shows his hands and his side and his feet. And Thomas is like, oh, I love you, Jesus. I knew you were real. <laughs> right? Read it. He does. And Jesus says something very, very profound. You have believed because you have seen. But blessed are those who believe who have not seen. Hallelujah. There's a place for faith in your walk. There is a place for uncertainty because God understands. And there is a place for personal encounter to change and override every bit of uncertainty you may have. Call out to him. He will meet you. So after kind of talking about truth, then I presented you with Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, in the beginning, God created heaven and earth. It's like a challenge statement. It's like, okay, God is going to like lay it on the ground. He's not going to mamby-pamby around. He's going to throw it on the ground. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Do you believe it? Can you be 100% sure? Because of your personal encounter. But also, the coolest thing on the planet is that scientific evidence is beginning to shove and push and shove and push and shove towards that fact. It is so cool. So before I move on, I just have to read some cool to you. You're just gonna, you just have to, I, I'm loving this book. Please read it. Sterling and I are reading it every morning, and uh, we're having a great time. But, um, so this is, this is a little quote here. As Vera Kistakowitz, how would you like to have that for your last name? Because that's the best I can interpret it here. Professor of Physics Emerita at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology and former president of the Amer- uh, Association of Women in Science summarized the implications of the evidence. The exquisite order displayed by our scientific understanding in the physical world calls for the divine. This is also the conclusion that dissolved Patrick Glynn's atheism. The anthropic evidence, he said, does offer a strong, as strong an indication as reason and science alone could be expected to provide that God exists. Ironically, the picture of the universe bequeathed to us, us by the most advanced 20th century science is closer in spirit to the vision presented in the book of Genesis than anything offered by science since Copernicus. Whoa! That's an atheist speaking. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Do you believe? You're going to have to get in the faith boat or the doubt boat. I don't care. I do care, actually. Never mind. Whoopsie. (laughs) I do care. Albert Einstein, not a believer, after everything he discovered back in his day, is quoted to say, regarding how much it's pushing him towards the divine, he says, and I quote, it irritates me. (laughs) I'm serious. That's what he said. A British astronomer says it's repugnant. Scientists are having such a hard time with how strong the evidence is towards divine creation. In the beginning, God created the earth. So now let's go on a little bit farther. Amen? Shall we move on in Genesis? We've got to get to the end, right? So open your Bibles. God's about to get busy. I love it when God gets busy. How many of you ever have to get busy? 
Well, God's about ready to get busy. He's about ready to create the entire universe. So if we're going to have those verses up on the screen, I hope. Otherwise, I'm just going to read it out of the NIV. So Genesis 1.1, we're going to fly through this. Are you ready? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That word God there is Elohim. Elohim, you got to get a in there. And it's a plural word, but is also used in the singular form. Very interesting. It's the first indication of the Trinity. It opens up the door that there is more than one, but yet it is, they are so unified that they are one. Okay, we're going to talk about the Trinity. I don't know if you guys are interested in that at some point, but I will. Now, the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Can you just see it? Can you just see it? Okay, I can see it. I hope you can. I hope you see what I see. Do you see what I see? Okay. Verse 3, and God said, let there be light. God's first words were calling for light. And we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. And there was light and God saw that the light was good. And he separated the light from the darkness. And God, God called the light day and the darkness night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. Have you ever realized that God calls his days starting with evening and then ends with morning and day? Have you ever noticed that? You're going to notice that from here on out. God starts the day at evening kind of interesting. Okay, we're going to pull some stuff out of that in just a minute. So it was evening and morning the first day, and God said, let there be an expanse between the waters to separate the water from water. So God made the expanse and separated the water under the expanse from the water above it. And so it was. And God called the expanse sky, and there was evening, and in the morning, the second day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered into one place and let dry ground appear. And it was so. And God called the dry ground land and he gathered the water to be called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it according to their various kinds. And it was it was good. It was so. The, lo- the land produced vegetation, plants bearing seeds according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning the third day. God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night, and let them serve as signs to mark the seasons and the days and the years, and let, them, let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to give light to the earth. And it was so, and God made two great lights, the great light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars, and God set them in the expanse of the sky to give light to the earth, to govern the day and the night, and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good, and it was evil evening and there was morning the fourth day. God said, let the water teem with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living and moving thing with which the water teems according to their kind and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good and God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number and till the water in the seas and fill the water in the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. And then there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kind, livestock, creatures that move along the ground, and wild animals with each each according to its kind, and it was so. And God made the wild animals according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that moved along the ground according to their kinds, and God said it was good. Then God said, let us make man, let us, all of a sudden us now, we've got a plural, 
Let us make man in our own image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over the livestock and all, over all the earth and over all the cre- creatures that move along the ground. So God created his man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air, over every living creature that moves on the ground. And God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth, every tree that has fruit and seed in it. They will be yours for, for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the air and the creatures that move along the ground and everything that was, has breath and life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. I'm going to go a little bit into chapter 2 there. Keep going with me. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed all in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all of his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating all that he had done. Amen. You heard the word Elohim over 30 times in that chapter. God was busy. God did his work. Whether you believe it was a seven, true seven days, or if you believe each day was a, you know, a millennium, or I don't care, I'm not going to get into all of that. But the bottom line is, is God created the earth. He created it the way he created it. He also created in a process. He didn't just go, done, bam, there, done. He did it over a process of time. Everybody say process. Everything that I read to you now and over the next couple of chapters, there's a thing called first mention. And that is is that you can, everything that comes, the, the concepts that God brings out for the first time, Create a picture of what God intends. And it gives you a glimpse of how God works. And when God first mentions things, it is a very important thing that he mentions. And when he mentions it, it's in a way that you are to learn from. Now, God could have easily, immediately done it in one and a half of us billionth of a second and had the whole thing. But God wanted a process. He does things in process. He took the world that was formless, absolutely formless. The word formless there means without purpose. He took the world that was empty, meaning unfulfilled. He took the, the word that said darkness, which means no vision and complete confusion. And he took it through a day-by-day process until it was done. Your life Your life, my life, begins formless, darkness, confusion, unfulfilled. And God takes us day by day by day through a process. Our God is a process kind of God. And I will tell you something, that my process in my world creates annoyance. Hurry up. I don't like it anymore. Can we just get there? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? 
Anybody like that? Are we there yet? Deborah Morris was in the car with us in Uganda. We drove and drove and drove and drove. And I kind of got tired of saying, are we there yet? So I said, are we in a new time zone yet? And she didn't get it. She's like, I don't know. Let me check. Because <laughs> I get impatient. But God is a God of process. I have to admit to you, a while back I read that, pro- that whole process. And I got to the part when he talked about God rested. And I will tell you, I had a conniption. I got upset. And I read that because at that particular time, I was in very high stress mode. Anybody ever have high stress mode? And somebody just looks at you and says, would you just relax? What do you want to do? Smack them upside the head. And I had been having, okay, stress gets to me like crazy. You look at me right now, okay? You know, I'm kind of a hyper happy person, but you put hyper in stress mode, it's not pretty, okay? In fact, a couple of years ago, I told a story to the women once. Uh, a couple of years ago, I was in such a stress mode. I, it follows me into sleep. Does anybody ever have a hard time sleeping when you're stressed? Okay, so I went to bed. I'm like, I gotta sleep. You know how that is? And I'd start dreaming, and it happened to be around Christmas time, and there was all sorts of things going on in my real life, okay? I was head of the youth group at that point. I was leading all of the music. I was just, I was nuts, you know? I was like, save me from myself, you know? So I go to bed, and I start dreaming, and I have this dream. In my dream, I'm at home, and I get this frantic phone call from my youth leaders. Joel, today is snow camp. Where are you? I don't know, I'm in bed, you know, so I'm tearing out of bed and I run there. We, we don't have enough room in, a, in the vans to get the kids there. What are we going to do? And I said, I know what I'm going to do. I went and got my office chair. Now, it was snowing outside, okay? In my dream, it's pouring down snow. Just follow me, okay? So I get my office chair and my office chair is amazing. My office chair in my dream, if you reach down, you know those little handles? If you crank the handle, it goes. It went. So I went and I found a wagon and I put all the kids that didn't have a spot in my wagon, and I, I um, bungee-corded it to my chair. And so I was ready to take them to, church, to, to youth or the camp with my little chair. And then I thought, you know, choir practice is tomorrow, and I'm not ready. So I ran in, and I got my keyboard, and I put it across my lap. Oh, yeah, and I was practicing my piano while I was pumping and navigating the snowy roads, getting the children to camp. That's my dream. I woke up exhausted. I was just, I was totally exhausted. But that's where I was at in life. So much to do. And then I read that verse, and God rested. And he called it holy. And he called it set apart. And, you know, to tell, I'm going to be just very honest with you. I got kind of mad. Because the other part of it said that he was finished. And I looked at God and I said, if you want me to rest, I have to be able to finish. And I can't finish. There's too much to do in life. I am never finished. I have never exercised enough. I have not ever prayed enough. I have not ever, the house is never clean for any length of time. I am never finished. There's always dishes in the sink. I am never finished. So how am I supposed to rest? You got to be finished, God. I never do. Anybody relate to me? Anybody ever get a little, a little frustrated with the Lord? <laughs> I hate to admit it. 
It's easy to rest when you're finished and when you're done. Rest. And God rested. I want to tell you and show you how God brought me through that. But before I do, I want to give you uh, some information. Remember I told you last week how all of the book of Genesis was written by Moses at about 1400 B.C. Remember that? And creation and so much of this beginning part of Genesis happened maybe at 6,000 B.C. or 10,000 B.C. It's really hard to place where it's at. So how did he know what to write? Well, first of all, he was divinely inspired. But second of all, it was passed down by oral tradition. So Adam and Eve had kids, right? Seth and and, uh, what were their names? Cain and Abel. I almost said Austin and Caleb. (laughs) I think I'm getting tired. Uh, Well, A and C, you know, it was working in my head, but it just wasn't right after I got past the A and the C. Um, Cain and Abel. And, um, you know... But they missed out on what was in the garden. So Adam and Eve would tell them. It became verbal, you know, oral tradition. And then when Adam and Eve died, then Cain, no, Cain killed Abel. Abel was gone. Cain, Seth, their other son, um, and many, many others began to pass down the oral tradition, right? Well, a lot of those peoples then became very... Um, uh, disease spiritually, what's the word I'm looking for? They became very um, atheistic and very actually evil, so evil that God obliterated them, right? So some of the stories began to get twisted. They began to take on a, a um, more of a pagan twist, but they all had a same story. It's very interesting. There's a very same storyline. The story of Noah is in ev- almost every ancient culture, The story of the flood is in every ancient culture. Even though it's twisted just a little bit, everyone carries the same story. Well, everyone carries a story of of, um, creation, but it's a little twisted. The Egyptians, the Babylonians, all of them, their story about creation was that God, the gods just... And when they were all done, they made man. But the reason that they made man was to be slaves to them and do all the work so that the gods could go and rest. Very twisted. But it kind of sounds like where my heart was at that night. Okay? So just work with me here. And those, those, other, um, places, those other countries and those other people, civilizations, believed that when God rested, it wasn't because he, you know, wanted to sit back and enjoy what he had. He wanted to get away from it because they were exhausted and they had to sleep. Well, we know very strongly that our God doesn't sleep nor slumber. So, you know, it's just twisted. But I think sometimes in our world... We think a little bit like that. You know, God must be really tired of me. He wants to get, you know, he must be really sick of me. That's not what this rest means. Does that make sense? So let's kind of look at a little, um, uh, give you a few thoughts through what we read and what was God's actual intent of what, where he wants things to be. First of all, uh, I want you to know that God absolutely provided all provision that man would ever need. Every tree was there 
for food to eat. And if you read into second, the second chapter there, the, the land was full of gold and onyx and just amazing things. God provided for them physically. They never had any lack. They always were provided for. They were God's children. Provision. Provision was amazing. Their physical needs were wholly met. Secondly, when you look at through this whole, this whole time frame of, of in the garden, their purposes was absolutely lined out. God gave them what they're supposed to do. Amen? They're supposed to subdue the earth. Well, first of all, they're supposed to fill it. They're supposed to fill the earth. Why didn't God just like, bam, civilizations? Whole people groups. Why didn't he? Process. But even more than that, he wanted civilization built on family. He didn't create a civilization. He created a family. And he said, now you have children, and when you have children, raise them up in your image. And I am in your, my image, so you're going to imprint me on them. And I want you to grow them, and I want you to process them through life. And I want you to imprint upon them, and I want you to raise them up. God did not create societies and civilizations. He created families. And families build societies. Oh, people of God sitting here, your family, your marriage, your relationship, your children is absolutely divinely orchestrated. And you are in the middle. I'm looking around. I'm seeing some of you have children. Some of you don't. Some of you have already done it, you know, and some of you haven't quite yet. Zach and Sarah, we're waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. But, you know, we'll wait. And Chima's, we're waiting and waiting and waiting. But I have to, you're holding this sweet baby. You're holding the future civilization. And you get to be the ones that write on her heart. You are the ones. Stop messing around. Your marriages are incredible. Don't get me started. I'm telling you what. That person that you're sitting next to, that you're, if you're married to him, look at them. Okay, now you know them. You know they're good, they're bad, they're ugly. Right? You picked them. <laughs> but I'll tell you what. Our very future depends on you making this thing work and learning how to love someone that maybe right now you don't love. Maybe right now you don't love them. They are bugging you. You don't understand, Joel, what he does need. But you are now learning how to love. Oh, don't let it break. Oh, I beg of you, don't let your relationships fall apart. Fight for them. Don't take the easy way out. Make it work. Learn how to love. Learn how to love. Learn how to lay your life down for someone. Even when they never come back and thank you. Even if they trample on you. Learn to lay your life down for them. That's what love is. Leaving and running and and breaking and all of that stuff. That's not love. And those kinds of relationship breaking is going to build. What kind of civilization does that build? Okay, I'm taking way too much on that. 
fill the earth, subdue the earth. That means to harness it, make it produce. God said, go out there. I'm giving you all the, all the raw material now. Go make it work. I would say to every single one of you in this room right now, you have been given raw material from God. Go make it work. Harness it. Don't stand around whining and crying that you don't have enough or you don't have as much as the other person. I don't care how much you have. Go to your little square and start harnessing it and start making it work. Work it hard and God will produce. Amen? I'm getting good. Also, it says to keep it. The word keep means to protect it and guard it. That's our role here. To protect it and guard it. Can't just let anything in. God didn't want just anything in. But it came. It came. Provision and purpose was just amazing in the garden. But the third thing that was just... So, so provision made for physical wholeness and physical um, you know, provision. Um, the purpose provided for emotional wholeness inside of, every, of both Adam and Eve. They were emotionally whole because they had purpose. Thirdly, they had relationship. They had relationship with their creator and with their God. They were spiritually whole. Um, uh, Genesis 3, 8 says how God came down in the cool of the night and would evening and walk with them daily. They had a daily routine with God coming down and being with them. They were relationally close. And then when this, this passage here, the first of, of chapter two, where it says that God rested and called it a holy day, a set apart. Holy day is where we get the word holiday, holiday. Now these other civilizations said that God got away. He checked out and went away. And it doesn't tell us truly what God did there, but I want to say, may I present you, may, may we conjecture that God spent that entire day with his favorite thing, his favorite of creation, man. His entire day, that seventh day. So God is now showing us a routine that he wants to intersect our lives on a relational level daily and weekly. And he set up a seven-day week that all of cultures across the world abide by still. Six days and then a seventh. Six days and then a seventh. Now, I'm not here to, you know, also contend with you whether we're supposed to be Sabbath keepers on Saturday or on Sunday or what's the Sabbath or whatever. I'm, we're not going to go there. I mean, I could spend all sorts of time and we would leave confused, basically. But the point is that we have a life rhythm. And we've lost the life rhythm. We have to be very, very careful. And I don't want to you know, bring guilt or condemnation, but we, there is a life rhythm that is set up here in the very beginning of Genesis that we cannot lose, that we must stick to. Now, the fall twisted everything. Provision turned into lack. They didn't have enough food. They had to go out and just dig and dig and dig, and there was thorns and, ouch, you know, didn't used to hurt. So provision turned into lack. And purpose, purpose turned into labor. 
now. What am I? Who am I? Am I good enough? Am I working hard enough? What am I going to do? And our identity was lost. And, and now we have to labor for our identity. And we're, we're lost emotionally. And, and so much is happening even now in the world. But thirdly, our relationship was broken. And we found ourselves very distanced from God. So in the midst of lack and labor and distance, a new thing arose in the human race. It's called stress. Everybody say stress. Anybody know what stress is? My guess is that when all of provision was provided for them, and when all of purpose was set up for them, and the relationship was close, there was no stress. Adam and Eve never had stress in the garden, never one bit. And therefore, when they would relate with God, it was a clean and pure and fun and how, you know, I couldn't, I, if I didn't have stress, I could just like run and frolic all the time. Would you agree? But now stress, the stress of life robs my rest. When you stress, when you feel stress, coming from fear, coming from problems and difficulties and disappointments, the body, do you know what the body does? There is a cascade of over 1,400 biochemicals within your body that raises up this, this feeling of, ah, ah, and it, it, it contributes to the fight or flight. You could run 100 miles or you could beat anybody up. I've been there. I usually prefer the beat up side. But this cascading chemical reaction is not normal to the body. It is not healthy for the body. Would you beat someone up? Is that what you're saying over here? (laughs) They're praying for you. (laughs) Yeah, he probably needs to be prayed for. But this cascading of, of these biochemicals is not normal in our body, and it's not what we are supposed to live in. It causes premature aging. It causes cancer. It causes sickness. It causes disease. It, pre- it, ca- it causes impaired cognitive function. It drains your energy. It takes away all your clarity. Stress. And to make things worse, along with all this twisting, the Jewish people took God's command for a Sabbath rest and put rules and rules and regulations and regulations and made it harder and harder and harder to fulfill even a rest day. Even a day of rest. They were afraid that they would fail. In fact, there were, there were policemen of sorts watching you. And if you broke the Sabbath, if you didn't rest, you were dead meat. I don't know what they did. Did they make you go and wash and cleanse? Or did you have to, like, kill a few more calves, you know, cows? Or, you know, I don't know. I haven't figured that out, what they had to do when they broke the Sabbath. But even rest in the Israelite time caused stress. It was horrible. Right? Okay, so Jesus comes along. Let me tell you about Jesus. Jesus was a Jew. He grew up keeping the Sabbath every Saturday. He worked hard with his mom to make all the food the Friday night before and 
And they all sat there, resting. And if somebody was hurt, you couldn't move to help them. And if your cow fell in a ditch, you couldn't get them out. Actually, there was a few exceptions. They made them. You could get the cow. We need the cow. Go, go get the cow. The cow's in the ditch. Go get the cow. But they sat there and rested because everybody was watching you. And if you broke the Sabbath, if you did not rest right, it, it did not go well with you. Even rest became stressful. So Jesus came along. And he was proficient at breaking the Sabbath, absolutely messing with everybody's brains. Because Jesus came to reset what rest means. Jesus came to reset rest. God rested on that first Sabbath, that first seventh day. And Jesus came along to reestablish what God truly intended. So what did God truly intend? So Jesus came along, and he started healing on the Sabbath. Oh, what a stinker. He came along, and he, he broke some grain and ate it. That was work. He broke the Sabbath, made everybody really mad, really mad. But he was intent on resetting it. And I want to say to you that if you read Hebrews 4, you will see that in your life, Jesus is the fulfillment of what rest is for you. Because you are intended to walk in a rest that supersedes anything and everything. Jesus said things that blew everybody away. He said in Matthew 6, 23, I want you to open over there. I want you to see what Jesus did and what he said and what rest really is. Matthew 6, 23. He's speaking to a people now that are having to work very hard to eat, working very hard to put clothes on their back, working very hard. And I look around this room and I would say that every day you spend, you spend working very hard to eat and to have clothes to eat and, or wear, wear, you wear the clothes, you don't eat the clothes, to wear and a house to live in. How much time do we spend in our world doing those things? He says to you, he says, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life and what you're going to eat or drink or about your body and what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? This is Matthew 6, starting at verse 25. Now I'm at verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about your clothes? See the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that, that not even Solomon in all of their splendor are, was dressed like one of these. And if that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow thrown into the fire, 
Will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat and what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these very things, but your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But first seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given unto you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble. Jesus gets in their face and says, stop worrying. The Father's got it. The Father's got this. He's got you covered. And you're sitting there going, well, I don't know. Can I trust that? There's a little uncertainty here. Remember we talked about at the very beginning that there's the certainty boat. Faith. You got to just believe it. Or there's the doubt boat. Well, I don't know. I better, you know, I don't know. I better, I don't know. Either God's got you covered or he's not. So are you going to worry all day about it? Or are you going to, what, where, what boat are you in? The worry boat goes, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. <laughs> and then you start having dreams like I had, and, and then you don't sleep well. The faith boat goes, okay, I'm going to do everything I can. God's got me covered. I'm going to lay down and go to sleep. Have you noticed, why did God make us have to sleep every day? Do you know why he did that? He's testing our faith slash doubt. Because for you to lay down and not work anymore and calm down and rest causes you to have to get out of worry. God's pretty smart. He also said another thing. He said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Now remember, they're carrying the the yoke of religion and they had to do everything just right before they could be loved. And even then they weren't sure and everybody was watching them and they felt so judged and so um, unaccepted and and they were carrying this yoke of heaviness to try to please a very scary God at this point in their world. Come to me, Jesus said. No, they've got it all mixed up. I am here to reset your world and how you look at it, and you can live in rest. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble at heart, and you you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. People of God, I would say to you tonight that if in your world you are packing heavy burdens, Jesus wants to change that. He wants to carry your burdens, and he wants to put a light one on you, which is living for him. This is how it's supposed to be. Let me read it to you in the, in the message, and then we're going to close. You who are tired, worn out, Burned out on religion. Come to me, he says. Get away with me and you'll recover life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me and watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythm of grace. I don't put anything heavy or I will put nothing ill-fitting on you. 
Keep company with me, and you'll learn how to live freely and lightly. Learn the unforced rhythm of grace. Let's all stand. We don't live in the Garden of Eden. We live in the realm of lack, labor, and a distance relationship from God. Jesus came into this earth to change that. He came into this earth to change that. He came here to silence the word of perfection over us. And he says, my grace is sufficient for you. He came to silence the worry over provision. And he says, cast your cares on me, for I careth for you. He came into this earth to break the, the, the drive for performance. And he said, not by works will any man boast, but through grace and faith. He broke the power of sin and death. He loves you with an everlasting love. He calls you a child of God. He said a whole different set of words. He had a whole different paradigm. And he came into that world that was so burdened and so broken down and so heavily just they were groaning under the weight of religion and under the weight of having to live life. And Jesus came to them and said, come unto me. And then he climbed up on a cross and he died. And his final words were, it is finished. Wow. Sounds a lot like God. In Genesis chapter two, he was finished. And so he rested. I am here to tell you that your rest is in Jesus and in the work that he did for you. In what he did for you. And either he did it or he didn't. Either you believe it or you don't believe it. And I would say to you, if you read Hebrews 4, it talks about the fact that the children of Israel never were able to enter in because they didn't mix God's promises with faith. And I would say to you tonight, whatever it is that's causing stress in your life, What is it right now? Just close your eyes. Everybody close your eyes. What is it that's causing stress in your life? Jesus, through God and the resurrection power that resides within him, has your answer. He has your answer. Can you rest in that? Can you believe it? Can you get in the believe boat? are you in the doubt boat? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I got to keep worrying. My suggestion is get in the faith. That's hard to do because there's fear. There's trust issues. There's, there's all sorts of things. Is he going to do it? Is he not going to do it? What? Get in the faith boat. When you get in the faith boat, you are not allowed to go over to the oars and work it. Row it up in the bow and you let Jesus row. You trust in him. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord God, I just thank you right now. Lord God, that it is finished. 
And that even though we have a lot to do, we can do it in your peace, in that rhythm of grace that you've given us, daily walking with you, weekly walking with you. Lord God, we just love you. We love you for rest right now in Jesus' name. We love you. We love you. We love you. We love you. Jesus, come into my life right now. Invade my stress. Invade my problems. Invade my troubles. Invade my physical body that needs health and wholeness in Jesus' name. Invade the relationships that are broken in my world. Invade my purpose. Invade my job. Invade my world. Invade my children. Right now, come in and invade it. God, I step back and I rest in you. I will do what I am supposed to do, but I will rest in my heart in peace. Jesus has got you covered. Get in the faith boat with him.